Hey everyone, just a quick content warning for this one. So this is the second part of our two-part episode about polarity in Wicca. You can hear the first part in episode 15. There are various points in this episode where we reference a debate that's going on in the BTW community at the moment that's more or less centred around transphobia. And while we don't explicitly repeat any of the transphobic statements being made, we do make reference to them. In this second part, we'll also dive into some of the ideas around the gender binary and polarity in the craft. If that's potentially upsetting to you, we do want to make you aware. We really hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, and welcome everybody to Peter's Small Feet. I know it's not my turn. <laughs> Last time it was legs, now it's Peter's feet. Yeah. Let me see your ears. Can we talk about them in the next episode? No, oh, no, those are pretty normal. Those are nice pierced. ears. They're oh, fine. thank you. I didn't think I knew that you had it pierced, though. Yeah. Cute. Subtle. Like a like a black black nib thingy. Is that an official term? Yeah, nib. Okay. Well, hell, and welcome to Circle Talk, a podcast for seekers, initiates, and the curious, before Alexander and witches, with endless different opinions. We are your host. I'm Josie, a high priestess and coven leader near Melbourne, Australia. I'm G, a high priestess and coven leader from the New England area of the US. Hi, I'm Peter, a high priest and coven leader from South Wales. And hi, I'm James, a high priest and coven leader from just outside New Orleans, Louisiana. And we are a podcast where we talk about Alexandrian witchcraft and explore differing opinions on how the Alexandrian tradition is practiced in various covens around the globe. Listeners are reminded that while we are all initiates of the Alexandrian tradition, we only speak for ourselves and not the tradition as a whole, which is an important thing to distinguish. This is episode 17. If this is your first episode, welcome. You may want to take a moment to pause this and go back to listen to our introductory episodes, episode zero, introductions, and episode one, definitions, or check them out after you enjoy this one. Today's topic will be on polarity in the practice of the Wicca and the craft in general. We're going to get into things like what do we mean by polarity, current controversy, what is it, why does it keep coming up decade after decade after decade, it never dies no matter how many times we shoot this horse. But before we do that, we're going to listen to the words of Janet Farrar and Gavin Bone from the Inner Mysteries, Progressive Witchcraft and the Connection to the Divine. Wherein they say, we believe that the founders of Wicca would not approve of the emerging trends towards dogma, and in fact, would see them as a step backwards. There has emerged an intolerance of other Wiccan paths on the part of those who consider themselves BTW. This fundamentalist approach to Wicca has now brought us a real danger. That Wicca will lose its soul and go down the road that Orthodox religion took two millennia ago. We believe these attitudes stem from people's ideas about religion being formed in a monotheistic culture. When such people come to polytheism, they get a form of spiritual agoraphobia and seek to cling to the comfortingly rigid structures found in their original religion. Of course, this is a form of insecurity, a type of shadow that most of us who have gone through the initiatory process work through at the second degree level. Unfortunately, it seems that for some, the shadow need for rigid control never loosened. And these people apply their old concept of religion to Wicca. They become, they become concerned 
with the form of the religion rather than the spirit. They glorify the system of lineage initiations, the coven structure and laws, and they ignore the spiritual and magical practice. So now that I've stumbled through that, high five, let's get on the broom and let's go witches. All right, so why are we talking about this? Because, oh, oh no. I was going to be a smart ass. I was going to say, well, firstly, I've had a glass of alcohol, so I'm ready to go. You um, told but, me two glasses, Josie. Well, I just finished my second. <laughs> um, but also, we've just done an entire episode um, on polarity leading into this as well to give people a frame of reference. I think it's important to just remind our listeners as well, Maybe before you listen to this episode, go back to listen to episode 16. Episode 16 or was it 15? Because I think 16 was the... It was 15. 15. Yeah. So Um, go back maybe just to listen really quickly to episode 15 um, because it it kind of frames everything that we're going to talk about today. Which I think was titled Wick as a Mr. Tradition. Right. I think it's important to to maybe look at that quote again where where, um, Janet and Gavin both say... We believe that the founders of Wicca would not approve of the emerging trends towards dogma and in fact would see it as a step backwards. I think this this whole conversation that we're going to have about polarity and like, you know, must be kind of P and V and it, and, and it must be that kind of whole whole thing is holding us back as a religion, you know, as, as a practice. James rightly said that this rears its head decade after decade after decade and is probably one of the biggest stumbling blocks to people who see themselves as reformists or the traditional Alexandrian and or Garnerian Wiccans you know I, I I think this is one of the things that is holding us back I think as and I I really appreciate this quote because um it speaks directly to the point that we're going to be trying to make it throughout this episode I think however part of me is also rebels against this quote because I actually don't care that much whether or not the founders of Wicca give two shits about what's happening in wicca today like i think the founders of wicca we can be certain would say that they had no business discussing what another coven was doing if i can be certain of anything it would be that the founders of wicca would hold tightly to the idea of coven autonomy and i think despite the way that members of gardnerian and alexandrian wicca toss around the idea of coven autonomy the reason we have to keep coming back to this is because coven autonomy is only good enough for some people if you're doing what they think is okay coven autonomy should preclude this whole discussion from happening because coven should be free to practice in a way that they see fit and i think that the founders of wicca would agree with that sure i was just sitting here thinking as you were saying that like my coven and my craft have gotten that much stronger since I made the decision not to listen to strange men on the internet and their opinions, particularly, I hate to say it, strange, angry American men on the internet and their opinions. What I do in my coven is my own damn business. Except, of course, for our strange American here on this podcast, but he's not angry. Right. No. He's not angry. I might rant a little bit today. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's not from a place of anger. It's a place of frustration and disappointment um and i guess a a little bit of love because i i love the craft the only thing you've told me to do with my coven though is like you've given me cooking advice i mean well it's important that witches are well fed Hmm, that's all right i'll take that keep our energy up for the rituals i think it's important like for us to remember and to remind listeners that the craft 
and and Wicca has evolved, like initiatory Wicca has evolved. And I don't know what Gardner practiced in his coven. I don't know what Valiente did in in her coven. I don't know what they did together. You know, coven autonomy is is a big thing. And I think when you say it, G, you're right. Coven autonomy only goes so far if other people agree with what you're practicing. But at the end of the day, you know, the craft has evolved and there's things that we've introduced, there's things that we've probably gotten rid of. And and I think this is one of the things that, that we can resign to like room 101. There's like a pop culture reference for you guys. Yeah, and this isn't even a controversy that exists amongst all of the Wicca. It's really just centric on certain branches of it who just have taken this idea as core material as universal amongst us all when well that's that's not fact it's not true there are entire branches of the wicca regardless of tradition who are you know standing up and being like no that's that's not what we're about so this trying to speak universally it's not accurate so to be explicit and make sure that we're explicit in naming the problem the current problem there's a group a small group of Gardnerian witches who are trying to establish a schism within the Gardnerian tradition. And the schism that they're trying to establish is that they would like to name themselves and what they identify as correct practice as, quote, traditional Gardnerian craft. And what everybody else is doing, or anybody who doesn't follow what they perceive as the correct way, as reformist Gardnerian craft. And I I think they think they're being kind by allowing the reformists to maintain the term Gardnerian. I think they think they're being very generous in that. But yeah. ultimately, if you want to create a schism, you can schism yourself, but you can't schism yourself and claim the title of traditional um, and then paint everybody else with a brush that says they aren't traditional. Because it's it not only is it factually untrue, but also the definition of traditional can vary from person to person. And their definition of traditional is very clearly founded on notions of not gender polarity even, but sex polarity, male and female polarity. That's where they've decided to plant their flag. And we're not giving away any secrets by saying this because they've been proclaiming themselves in various seeker groups. They've set up websites specifically to promote this ideal and only to promote vouched for covens that aspire or that that agree to meet their definition of what traditional Gardnerian Wicca is. Again, this is a very small subset of the Gardnerian craft, but they're being very noisy. And as a result, this fight has sort of hit the mainstream and hit seekers groups as well. And it's not a new fight, right? As James said, like this is a fight that comes up every year or so, sometimes every few months, regarding ideas of polarity and just how important should sex and gender be in the practice of Wicca? That's why we're talking about this today, because the controversy showed up, what, five, four or five months ago now? We only record like once a month, so it's taken us a little while to get around to, to addressing it. But it's it's still going around, and we felt the need to try and address it in a somewhat timely fashion. I think one of our main points is to allow seekers to do their own um do their own research kind of thing with as many resources as many different resources that is possible like if if that's your thing if that's what you want to go for then then go for that you know but at the same time we're trying to put out there a different 
I don't know maybe whether different is the is the right word, but we're we're trying to put out as much information um, from an Alexandria point of view. Someone has to be the voice amongst the community, and who better than the community? And you know, if I don't speak up, who else is going to? If I don't represent my craft as I practice it, who else is going to say things? If the craft argument that is being represented doesn't reflect what I'm doing, why do I let it be the only whistle that seekers hear? Well, you've just hit the nail on the head with why we even started this podcast, right? True story. So with all that said, are we ready to dig into polarity or is there anything else we want to discuss a bit on this current topic? Let's get the, let's get to the meat of it. We've given we've given the bones. Let's get to the meat. All right. Well, polarity is in the context of the practice of the Wicca is often framed from the perspective of, but you need it for the magic. So, what does that mean? I think while a lot of maybe not even a lot of practitioners, but maybe what practitioners see and what seekers will probably expect is that you need the polarity of male and female. You know, God and goddess in order to carry out effective and or successful magic i think that's what it boils down to doesn't it the notion that we need a man and a woman or a male and a female or whatever you want to term it as in order to create um magic and power and i think in some individuals theological views that may work but not all of the wicca view um, our gods as the sole representatives of divinity and so you can't necessarily split all of existence along those lines it's pretty reductive also to to just put it down to male and female this idea of polarity polarity any two opposite forces coming together to create something bigger than some of their parts yeah i mean saying that gender is reductive really centers the argument right like we we know that there are some forms of energy work and some forms of magic that use or utilize polarity to make the magic go to make it work right and part of that is that creation piece but where does that what about polarity makes creation happen right does it have to be male and female p and v boom create baby does that have to be like our only understanding of how polarity leads to creation because really what you're trying to create is either energy or an outcome right if you're working magic polarity is not no matter how much we argue it is the basis for all energy work it is most certainly an effective means that is widely used and taught amongst the practice of the Wicca. But there are entire systems of magical energy practice that do not at all touch upon polarity. Um, for example, there are uh, Japanese forms of energy use such as uh, centering into one's key or there is the practice of reiki and many others and although not necessarily the same thing we do they're manipulating and tapping into energy that's not what we do and they do it without polarity absolutely and individual witches all the time work to raise energy on their own without having to use sex magic or without having to have an opposite gendered person present in the room to help them raise energy right we we've talked in other episodes about the various means people can use to raise energy for work in coven work if you have multiple people then you're going to 
potentially use different ways of raising energy. And you can use two different people to raise energy and you can use the polarity between two different people to raise that energy. But the energy that comes from two people comes from the tension between those two people, I would argue. And so I think that's why people use sex, right? Or use gender because many of us have experienced the the energy that comes from the sexually charged energy that comes from being around a person who you're sexually attracted to. I think, honestly, you can raise energy between any two people who are attracted to each other. That would be one way of doing it, but it's not the only way. You could also have them working at a point right before a storm is going to happen. Like how many of us have felt the tension in the air right before a storm comes through, right? And if you set up two priests or priestesses or priestesses at that point, there's going to be that tension available that they can draw on to create the energy that we're talking about. Yeah. And I think we've spoken about this in previous episodes about like creating energy and raising energy, you know, to bring it to maybe more of a mundane level, which most people can relate to. You think about when people go out and and they dance to music or they're in a rave or they're in a party, people are creating energy. They are making energy. You know, it just needs a, a group of witches to get in there and direct it. You could even experiment with energy, like if two people have just had a really big fight and there's like all that tension in the room, like tap into that. You could do some really fun stuff with that. I Get got it. We're gonna condense the fluid out. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna serve Peter subpar wine right before mm-hmm. ritual and refuse to give him the good stuff. <laughs> we're gonna tap into that. Well, you can do that, and then G and I will work with the energy between you. We'll see what happens. We'll do that when we meet up. For those of you Can't that are listening, for that parody thinking, ritual. What, what are they on about? A couple of episodes ago, I I said something about not. Um, what was a what was it was when a, a new initiate brings a bottle oh, of wine. Oh, if they brought if you a, a cheap bottle of wine, a secret. A cheap bottle of wine. <laughs> I would I would shoot them, shoot them the looks across the circle. That that's what James is referencing. Because I only drink good wine, which actually is not true because I drink wine from a bag sometimes. I don't know whether you guys in Australia and the US have like boxes goon of bag. wine. Goon bag, right. no goon of course. bag. Yeah, I mean, sometimes that wine is like some of the best wines I've ever tasted. I'm a cheap date, guys. I'm a cheap date. Okay. I don't think so. Goon of fortune is you need a Hills Hoist clothesline, which we have here in Australia, the ones that spin around and you tie the wine bags to them and you spin it around. Oh. I love that idea. I don't have one of those kind of clotheslines in my backyard. Look, that's um, what this podcast is about. It's about sharing cultural ideas and improving yeah. our practice. <laughs> this is why we need to do rituals outside. <laughs> Cut this bit out, please. Oh, I don't know. Maybe we can Keep find a in. way to leave bits in. Oh, Keep God. it in. But so that that tension that we're talking about, right? All these various ways that you can find that tension to tap into, to then draw energy out of as witches, right? That's one of the, that's one of the big reasons that people feel like polarity has anything to do with magic is if you're working within this particular system of magic, and if you're looking for tension to raise your energy out of, then one way to do that is to set up two initiates who are opposite genders, then you hope to create that tension that we're looking for. But as we've said, there are several other ways that you can get that tension. The other reason that people talk about it, and we talked about this in the previous episode of Wake as a Mystery Tradition, is using that polarity, male, female, creative force 
actually giving birth to or creating something that's going to be manifested or used within circle, right? And if that's if that's what people think is the way that energy works, if that's like their only the only way that they can conceive of for raising energy is that a male and a female between them have to combine their energies to birth new energy, then I guess, yes, then you're trapped in a very narrow band of practice. But I think what we're trying to do is establish for people or give other people ideas that there are other ways of doing this. Arguably better and deeper ways too. More, more varied, more options on the table. You know, we like to, to say that the center central tenet of the Wicca is innovation and taking that to heart. It's not very innovative if you're just stuck on one mode and you can't tap into the wide world of possibility. As some Alexandrians have prone to say, it's bad training. I think it's just a testament. Like, us for speak quite regularly about how we have different practices for setting up temple, closing down temple, whatever, the middle bit, you know, and the magic still works. It all still works. So yeah, innovation is is one of the big things of, of the Wicca. On that note, why do we focus on gender as the symbol of polarity? Um, so I personally think it's because it's a very easy, observable symbol, like night and day. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's the only symbol or that everything comes in twos. You know, as we were discussing offline, this, the number scales exist for a reason. And there's a scale of three and four and so on and so forth in magical practice. And they exist for a reason. I think it's the, the easiest, isn't it? Like gender or the notion of gender is the easiest for something to latch onto to see polarity. But as as we've already said, and as we're going to continue saying, gender is not the only form of, of polarity. That, that can be used within a ritual or, or Wiccan framework? I think it has to do with technological innovation, right? It's There's a distinct possibility that at the time when these practices were going on, especially given the time period that Gardner was coming out of, right, coming out of the Victorian age, um, what was happening in the Western magical traditions at that time, it's not super shocking that the method that they reached for in terms of energy raising was creating a tension between male and female, but technology evolves. Like we have new magical technologies. People have been researching, people have found more information on historically the way that different kinds of magicians were raising energy. We've examined and practiced different techniques for energy use and manipulation. And as a result, people are innovating their practice. We don't feel the need to stick with using a rotary telephone when somebody's invented mobile computers to fit in our pockets, right? We don't feel the need to like always stick to this one concept of of energy raising if we've come up with other methods that can work in the same way. But the practice says we have to use rotary telephones. And doilies, there's got to be lots of doilies. If Gerald Gardner had access to like Instagram, be all over that. Shit. Oh, they they would definitely be saving the reels of like the cats and mm. all of the <laughs> all of the cats doing all of the stuff. Because who doesn't? Who doesn't love Doreen? Doreen would be like, and I got this nice plate from the op shop for my ritual. <laughs> 
and their electronic witch library would be so full of pirated PDFs on every every subject imaginable. So I'm gonna I'm gonna um bring about the elephant in the room, which is like the other whole thing about polarity and gender that people use or the other concepts that people use to defend the place of gender-based polarity in Wicca is initiatory practice, which it's mainstream enough to say that most covens or most people practice with opposite gender initiation. And again, I want to point out that these this small group of people who we're talking about who are being extremely fundamentalist, they're not arguing for opposite gender initiation. They're arguing for opposite sex initiation, right? Their whole point is that whether or not you are transgender, non-binary, agendered, it doesn't matter. Whatever sex you were assigned at birth, that is the sex that you must practice as in circle, right? So, but most of us, many of us have transitioned into an idea of opposite gender initiation at the very least, saying like, well, a transgender, non-binary, agendered person can act as their identified gender in circle. Um, And opposite gender initiation has been a cornerstone of the debate about traditional Wicca and what makes valid practice for several decades at this point, I would say. I hate both terms. Same-sex initiation, same-gender initiation. I think both point towards blinds because it's really cross-polar or we attempt to cross-polar. Now, how we put that into practice is very difficult because how do you define someone's pull? First, do you want to explain the concept of blunders and blinds to our audience? Oh, uh, it could be intentional or unintentional uh, falsehoods or... Let's, you're walking through the woods and there's a sign that points the wrong way. Sometimes you put them up on purpose. Sometimes they're culturally ingrained. Sometimes you do it to yourself. So like and the, I think this is one of them. So the most famous example of a blunder versus a blind, I think, is probably in terms of tarot. Because in tarot, the athame or the sword is used for to symbolize air and um for many people in Western occult traditions at the time, the wand would have been used to symbolize air and the sword would have been used to symbolize fire. But when the tarot was becoming popularized, they swapped them. And the argument is that this was done as a blind, as a cover to keep hidden a mystery. It's not much of a mystery from people so that they wouldn't have deep secret occult knowledge TM. Right. That that's an example of a blind. Some people say it's a blunder that they just made a mistake. And some people like myself actually have grown so attached to the idea of swords as air that I really don't like the other system at all. So it's a little bit controversial. But that, I think, is like the most famous example of a widely seen blunder. and blind. But yes, anyway, I'm sorry. So this this so but but I like this argument, James, that this is something that people are using to blind themselves. Oh, 100 percent. And. I know it is easy. It is a comfort-based decision to very simply go, oh, this is what I observed in the world around me, without taking the depth or nuance beyond just genitals. And that's rather gross. I don't give a shit what anyone in my coven's genitals look like or what form they take. 
That's not the point. That's not the purpose. That's not where we're there. Can we please not make it about that? I think as well, like when we have an initiation, you know, we are, for lack of a better word, we are, we are performing the actions before seeing the words, but it's the gods that accept you at the end of the day. And are we actually saying that the gods actually care about this? Because I think that's what, what some factions of the Wicca are saying. They are saying, yes, the gods care. The gods absolutely care about whether this person has these bits between their legs or, or, or identifies as this way. When in actual fact, who are we to speak for the gods? You know, we are their priesthood. We are their servants. We carry out their work. But again, I don't, I don't really, I don't think the gods care. Our gods don't have physical bodies, right? Mm. So the whole right. point should be moot. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think the cornerstone here, this is very frustrating, that, you know, we're trying to talk, this is, talking about initiation is, is a tricky one to make sure that we stay within, stay within our oaths. And like, part of this is discussing the magical theory on how initiations work, you know, is going to tip perilously close to potentially to oath breaking. And also maybe is, is so in the weeds that unless you're really into the idea, um, you may not find super interesting, but I do think belief is going to play a part here, right? If philosophies about what makes initiation quote unquote take about who or what is making an initiate. And if those philosophies are different from coven to coven, then that's going to create a difference in how strongly people feel about the way that the practice is conducted. And I think this is where coven autonomy comes from is that we know that people are going to have different beliefs and different beliefs beget different practices. Therefore, of course, the counter argument that I'm going to set up for myself is that if that's the case, then there are certain things. If every coven can have a different belief about how these things work and every coven can therefore beget different kinds of practices that are manifested by those beliefs, right? Then if we're going to claim that we all belong to the same practice, strand, whatever, religious group, then there does have to be some kind of a shared core practice. And I guess the, the problem is that there's a lot of people who feel like one of those care, shared core practices, therefore, should be cross-gendered initiation as a hallmark of, of the tradition. And I guess my problem is that you've chosen a hallmark of the tradition that's really exclusionary and doesn't make sense to me energetically and magic. I think I feel what you're putting down. Really, with when you look at it, it is about coven autonomy. The whole idea of naming traditions is a new thing. When at the core of it, we don't belong to traditions. I was not initiated into the Alexandrian tradition or the Gardnerian tradition. I was initiated into covens whom happen to have a particular lineage that we've named such. But... At the end of the day, I joined a specific coven, and that coven's way of doing things. And it may or may not resemble what other covens who, quote-unquote, are labeled Alexandrian do. Sure, there are, you know, resemblances. Um, There's a blog on the uh, Gardnerian's blog that talks about how it's like family recipes getting passed down. Well... Yeah, it's kind of exactly like that. So when you start looking at same-sex initiation, same-gender initiation, cross-polar, whatever we want to call this, 
Well, maybe it's in your recipe book, but what's the point of the recipe? What are we cooking? Are we making ham? I guess to follow that analogy, the question then becomes, provided that we're all making the same thing, how much does it matter the recipe that was used to make it, right? I don't want to continue playing devil's advocate because I feel very strongly that same gender initiation is just as valid as cross-gender initiation or frankly, any two consenting humans initiating or being initiated by for me is perfectly valid. But I just, I'm interested in the, the, and if this is too much, you guys can tell me to shut up, but I'm, I'm interested in the philosophy behind why people are arguing for this and coming to some kind of an interest, but this is purely I don't want to use the word academic, but it's 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 just personal interest. We know that there's something ineffable that ties Alexandrians and Gardnerians together, right? It happens on occasion that we meet people and we're like, are you? Are you? You are. Like there's something that recognizes each other. And often what people use to say, here's how we know that there's something that ties Alexandrians and Gardnerians together, it's a shared practice. And we've discussed before how small, like how, how few items are on that shared practice list. But ultimately, there's something ineffable as well. And we've debated before, you know, how many things can you change and still be part of that same shared group? From an reincarnation cult perspective, what you're recognizing is your family returning. So is it really about whether or not the person who stood across from you or however we do that, genitals were described as opposite on a make-believe matrix? No. Good. I wanted us to come to a point where we could counter this inevitable debate point, because this is the point that I feel like comes up repeatedly. So, you know, because you, you and I have chatted about this several times. For me, I also have a, a curiosity with it, and it's very historical for me. I like to look at the influences of what fell into early Wicca or early practices were built from. And if you start looking at the occultism of the time, it was very much built out of Victorian occult practices. And some of that's okay. Some of it's good. And a lot of it's just bunk. You know, forgive me saying so. It's garbage that we need to scrape and get rid of. You know, I'm particularly adamant that the Kabbalion is garbage. It's not hermetic as much as we claim it is. It's new thought. Anyone who's read the Corpus Hermetica can tell that one was not based upon the other. Um, but a lot of the principles in it, particularly the principle of gender, were heavy influences on the time period. And I'm sure it and other works by people who based what they did upon it were heavy influences and were listed on book lists at the time. But it pisses me off. You know, I'm going to be that angry white male American guy now who's like, no, that's garbage. All of it. You're confusing, you know, uh, the symbol for the thing. I think also if if we can turn around and say that Margaret Murray's writing about an unbroken line of witches back to the burning times is bunk and was written at a time when things were ill-informed or ill-conceived, we can say the same of this. It was written in, what, 1908? Um, all traditions like ours are going to be a product of their times but and we've talked about this as well they're going to change with the times and they're going to as a living tradition adapt for the people it's not the it shouldn't be the people adapting for the thing for the tradition or squeezing themselves into something to fit a text from 1908 
I think both need to grow together. The people and their traditions need to flow organically, as you said, as a living tradition, not necessarily seeking to rip the the current into a new stream, you know, because it's going to carry you along. But at the same time, if it starts cutting a hole in a new mountain, well, this is where the river is now. It comes back to what we were talking about at the very start of this episode, um, the way that like we have no business in controlling what Wicca looks like in it, it won't matter to us. And likewise, what was happening in those very early days doesn't always have a big effect on what we did. What they did is of little relevance to what I do in the circle today, other than the fact that they existed as an ancestral practice that was passed to me. And it's great. I honor it. I'm happy for it. But it's not relevant to what I'm doing, what I'm teaching my initiates, and what I do won't matter generations from now. And I think that's a big piece of the frustration here too, right? Like I have certain beliefs about how all of this works and I would I would manifest those beliefs into my practice and I would create vouched for initiates because I would say that the initiation takes and they work perfectly well as priests and what have you. And I'm using I sort of like generically here, but I have zero interest in saying that any other coven has to accept or do anything that they don't. If you want to practice like as as by the ancient book, you, however ancient, you can. Like nobody is insisting that other people take transgender initiates. Nobody's insisting that other people initiate um, same same gender. But like because you could just do whatever you want, and then hopefully seekers will just find the right group for them. The problem is that those same people want to define for us what we do. I think that's core to it. Covenant autonomy, you're going to have a wide array of practices that take very different stances on this, but keep your nose out of our practices, not your business. No more than what you do is my business. I think one of the main um, worries of initiatory covens is if we do this practice, whatever you want to term as this is, will we be seen as valid by the wider society if we if if we perform same sex initiation same gender initiation will we be shunned by the wider community will our initiates have access or be able to access um other information which maybe um they might not get you know i i i think i think that's that's a valid concern for initiatory covens but again when we look at coven autonomy no one apart from the initiates in that circle know what has gone on and what will go on unless you know unless initiates discuss but um but yeah it all comes back to coven autonomy assumption of that risk that we may not be accepted is a very alexandrian approach to things if you start looking at the early schisms between the Alexandrians and Gardnerians, it was a whole lot of assumption on one side and fingers going up and the other side going, but you can't. I am so happy that most of us have evolved beyond that, but we assume that risk is a very Alexandrian kind of thing to do. So get on the broom. Mm. It would be nice to think that we were past the um, Alexander's kind of hold my beer kind of attitude to things, (laughs) but I don't know. I mean, Alex took the teachers that he was past and he made it, he developed the Garnerian system into the Alexandrian tradition and passed us Alexandrian hallmarks. You know, he did things his own way. And 
that was probably one of the first major developments within BTW, within British traditional Wicca. And I think those innovations are, are going to carry on whether people like it or not. You can be stuck in your 1950s, 1940s, 1930s practices of Wicca if you really want to. But I think the more time goes on and the more people that become involved in initiatory Wicca, the more different kinds of people that become involved in initiatory Wicca, the more we're going to innovate, the more we're going to push those barriers and those boundaries, just just like Alex Sanders did. I think James hit the nail on the head talking about, you know, if, if you want to exclude people, if you what you do in your coven is your business, but don't go around making other people's business or telling us how to run our coven. If you don't want to let trans people in, so be it. That's pretty backwards, but whatever. But if you go around spouting transphobic shit online in the name of Wicca, we're probably going to start making it up. I also don't think that we've mentioned, but it is worth noting, these voices are for the most part from the US. And there has been for a very long time, a a huge, we've talked already about the imposter syndrome, but an extra fear of imposter imposter syndrome here in the u.s that i don't know is like left over from the revolutionary war or something like we are very concerned with wicca over here being considered valid if james is going to tap in tap engine dysphoria it's a cultural phenomenon that exists when one culture moves into a more dominant one you know the version of italian spoken in parts of the u.s is an older version than was actually spoken in italy today because people hold it so tight well some of the practices of the wicca were held so tight although when you look at it you start going oh why why is the book four inches thick when we're only considering a quarter of it core um has so much other stuff laid on top of it but it's taken as something to hold so tight well that's why is well we're we're not in the mainland anymore we have to maintain our identity but I mean, Australians have that too. We, we're we a bit of a cultural ra- wasteland over here. Um, I'm a language specialist. Most people born in Australia to English-speaking parents don't learn another language and, and can't speak any language other than English. Our arts are kind of fucked. Like, but I don't know. You don't see our Wiccans carrying on like pork chops online. Not quite so much as the Americans. I, I think there are two reasons for that. One, and I don't mean this in any kind of way, but there's just fewer Wiccans in Australia, right? So like you, you know, uh, statistically speaking, are going to have fewer assholes than. Oh, absolutely. We have very few Wiccans. Yeah. And, and two, you still have the queen. I mean, like we, (laughs) I feel like the U.S. segregated itself so significantly from, from the United Kingdom that we really think of ourselves as distinct. And I will say like from a U.S. perspective, Australians are much closer in family to the united kingdom canada is not considered super close in family to the united kingdom which is interesting because they also still have the queen so that's yeah, but they're commonwealth but they're over here they're like a, and and i think in the u.s also we have this perception of if you are not in this continent and not white because we're horrible people then you are something else and so therefore you get lumped in with all of that I don't know. But I, I do think that that there's slightly less of an identity crisis amongst Australians. I think that you guys maybe just have are much strong. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's the perception. <laughs> I'll take it. I mean, just to bring it back, you know, like even Gardner said, like following James's path of, of thought with, you know, the 
book of shadows being four inches thick but we only use like a quarter of it you know that might be true that might not be true but there, there are quotes online of god saying you know the book of shadows is your personal book yes you pass yours on but whatever an initiate adds into that is theirs well if they pass that on you you can see how you know that analogy of it's four inches thick but we only use a quarter of it you know fits well he also said it take what you will as in you don't have to right take yeah. everything from the book from the guy who gave it to you yeah if that's not a recipe for flexibility i don't know what is imagine if someone just was like title page that's it that's all i'm interested in see ya gardner says it's cool and alex says just fill in the rest and and that's okay i'm now gonna bring back all the doilies i'm gonna have doily in every single quarter okay you could write a right called doily down the moon oh yes the right of the doilies <laughs> really close to right of the daleks maybe we can work on that a right of the daleks you know let's make it happen a christmas special in the practice of the wicker i think we're going to talk a little bit about the kabbalah because at least from an alexandrian standpoint you can't help but stumble near it occasionally um I mean, for that, lots of Gardnerians love it, but not all. So let's let's talk about that a little bit. I think we put the Kabbalah in here just because it is often another thing that people use to justify feeling extremely strongly about the use of gender in the craft, right? Oh, for sure. They are like, oh, well, the Kabbalah is the, the basis for our hermetic principles and all these other things. And they're like, oh, there's there's two pillars, therefore... Those two pillars are based upon gender and sex. That's you're missing the point. Um, the Kabbalah in practice, in hermetic practice, which is kind of our practice, because you start talking about the Kabbalah and Judaism, and it's not the same at all. Is very much a esoteric occult filing system to randomly slap symbols into, so that you can talk about abstract relationships that you say exists there because of this map that you're using um and in that yes you have the poles you have poles but you're missing the whole point of the kabbalah the kabbalah is not stagnant it's talking about the processes of manifestation and things becoming unmanifest which of course it interests the wicca because we're all about that but every single thing that comes into existence passes through every single cephalo I think like the Kabbalah and, and a lot of the practices that go with the Kabbalah, it's a lot of internal work. And if we want to say that, you know, there's there's a masculine side of the Kabbalah or the, or, or the tree and there's a feminine side or whatever we want to call it. If that's internal work, it's telling us that we have both of those qualities, whatever they are, within ourselves. And we're trying to strike that balance, not necessarily polarity, but we're trying to strike that balance within ourselves. A hundred percent. I mean, where where this plane of existence is on the tree is not segregated into two pillars, right? I mean, the tree is very complicated, yeah. obviously, and it's a you know nightmare to talk about. And there's many different ways to think about which macro microcosm the tree is existing in at any given time. But one view of the tree is that we are existing in the sphere of Malkuth, that that's the plane that we're living in, and if that's the case, then that is a culmination or a combination of the two halves. Like we are each hold within ourselves both of those pieces or all of those pieces. Right. 
well said, because the whole of the tree exists all at once. And I know we like to use it as metaphorical symbols of spiritual self-actualization, but it's just that. It's the metaphysical system that we've tagged that onto when the core root of it is about manifestation and things becoming unmanifest and all of it existing all at once. And all of it contributing to everything else as well. There's no kingdom without everything else, but everything the kingdom. No, and I mean, like, even, even the labels, you know, we might say, oh, yeah, this side is feminine, this side is masculine. But actually, you know, when, when we look at the pillars, you've got the pillar of mercy and the pillar of severity. Now, I'm, I, I can't quite clearly define and put in a box that, you know, mercy is a feminine trait, air quotes, and severity is a masculine trait because they're not. They it's, are also just... the, it's also the opposite on the tree. Yeah, yes. yeah which is my you, favorite. You flip it around. Yeah, exactly. But, and then if you start looking at the Sephiroth associated with each of them and their individual traits, are you saying that the things that are uh, logical, rational, concrete thinking are necessarily masculine and that things that are experiential and intuitive, et cetera, are necessarily feminine? No. No. No, right, exactly. And, and, and that's just it, isn't it? I think us as humans, we like to apply our own logic and we only understand things from our own logical point of view anyway, you know? So by saying, oh yeah, this side is masculine, this side is feminine, but actually they're reversed, you know, let, let's just call them what they are, the, the pillar of severity, the pillar of mercy, you know? So Peter just was talking about mercy and severity are the other names for the pillars, right? That we're already given an alternate for male and female or masculine and feminine. What are some other ways that we can set up polarity without being concerned about genitalia or gender identity? Night and day. Which I think is one of the first ones that people think about when they think of opposites or, or trying to bring balance or polarity. But even within night and day, I know that um, Yvonne has, has spoken about this, I think, in videos. Even within night and day, you've got twilight, you've got sunset, you've got the other one after sunset, before sunset. Dusk, Dawn. That's the one. Dawn. That's the one. Sunrise. It's not yeah. even early or late when I'm when I'm at peace. <laughs> but you've got you've got that spectrum. It isn't just night and it isn't just day. You've got those in-between times as well. Oh, for sure. The threshold times and places are huge in some forms of magical practice, um, which may or may not include polarity, but um, thresholds are a very poignant time and place to tap into things. Those are also periods, I would argue, that express that tension that we've been talking about. And we even mm -hmm. talked about Definitely. that. If we talk about seasons, and I, I we talked about it in our Equinox episode, that in my line, we use the Equinoxes as points of um, particular magical stress and try to harness that for implementing change or accepting change. I guess with polarity comes liminality and so much more. Right? Nice. Yes. We live in the liminal, in the fringe. It's part of what makes us witches. That is our realm and what we do. That whole, you know, space that's not a space, time that's not a time thing. Yeah, that. And there's a reason that Hecate has been co-opted as the goddess of the witches in modern times, too, which is and very she, off topic. And she likes it. We've also got like the concept of of the lover and the beloved, as opposed to you know the the, the masculine and the feminine, because a lover and somebody who is beloved can be anything, whether they're masculine or feminine, male or female, you know, or or anything else. 
I, I quite like that symbolism. And, and again, I know Yvonne talks about this in, in videos where you have certain rites within Wiccan ritual instead of using the words male and female maybe we could use the word lover and beloved so my first coven had a a big emphasis in talking about the caller and the answer that which longs and that which um replies it's very much about the the earth longing for the moon and the moon reflecting the light back down upon the earth so there was a whole lot of that built into what we did. And when you start looking at that, yeah, no, dude, that's that's not sex. That's not gender. It's a different movement of polarity. And that imagery I, is perfect. I love that. I just, I've spent a lot of time thinking about polarity lately, partially because of this argument, but because one of the, the things that brought up, well, if it's not this, how do you define it? What is it? Well, I keep coming back to the idea of, the dance and cycles of life and death and of the collar and the answer. I was about to say that all of that plays really well in our Sabbath cycle, the more you look at it. And the seasons and what G was talking about. Which again comes back to that notion of like, what is fertility? Because a lot of people would argue that our Sabbath cycle is anchored in fertility. And I think here we're presenting yet another perspective on how one can shift their notion of what fertility is or shift their notion of what our Sabbaths are really talking about or not shift their notion of what the Sabbaths are teaching us. We really should have called this podcast The Cult of Sex and Death. And Rock and Roll. <laughs> 2.0. I mean, I think I like the idea a lot of like life of life and death as another, um, partially because that's where we're sort of heading into in the year. Obviously, there are tons. I mean, we could sit here forever and rack our brains to make exhaustive list that potentially could be used as these symbols. And no matter how long we sat here doing it, we're never going to get an all-comprehensive list that fits for everyone, and not everyone's going to agree with everything that's on it the way we put it on there. I think the same can be said about magic, and although our system of magic is very much based in the idea of polarity for energy work, but it really just is that. It's, it's one system, and it's one specific system for energy work, and those aren't the only forms of, of magical approach that exist in the world. Uh, my own practice is very much concerned with, um, you know, spirits are my court of allies, the, the gods, the spirits in the land, and my ancestors. And I'm not raising energy there. That's, that's not what's happening. But it's very much a approach to magic. It's not necessarily one that's about self-actualization. It's about the relationship between the identified I, me, and other, at least the way I approach it. I think it's important to remind us that there's a lot of other ways of doing things and that, you know, as much as we talk about how things are practiced, we know that people in their individual practices are expanding beyond um, these sort of narrow ideas. With all that said... I think that brings us to about the end. I'd like to remind listeners kind of what we talked about. Um, we talked a lot about the current controversies around gender and polarity as it relates to the craft of the Wicca, um, how it exists with some systems of magic, particularly those that fall within some of the practices of the Wicca. We talked about the 
Kabbalah a bit and different ways of raising energy, and we went on lots of side tangents. So as a reminder, the most important thing that a seeker can do is find the right coven for them. Often that involves finding a coven whose ideologies and practices and beliefs you're comfortable with. Um, as we've said before, the best places to find vouchers for covens are the Alexandrian Wicca Seekers and Initiates Group and the Gardnerian Wicca Seekers and Initiates Group. These groups have large lists of vouched for covens submitted by the coven leaders. And there's a BTW Discord. Um, we'll post the links to all these in our show notes. But before I leave you, there is a quote by Ralph Waldo Emerson from his work called Compensation. I would like to leave you with. And he says, polarity or action and reaction. We meet in every part of nature, in darkness and light, in heat and cold, in the ebb and flow of waters, male and female, in the inspiration and expiration of plants and animals, in the equation of quantity and quality in the fluids of the animal body, in the systole and diastole of the heart, in the undulations of fluids and of sound. Whilst the world is thus dual, so is every one of its parts. The entire system of things gets represented in every particle. There's somewhat that resembles the ebb and flow of the sea, day and night, man and woman, in a single needle of the pine, in the kernel of corn, in each individual of each animal tribe. So thank you for listening. As a reminder, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook as Circle Talk for Witches. That's four as in the number. Twitter is Circle for Witches or email us at circletalkforwitches at gmail.com. If you have any questions, queries, thoughts, or ideas for future discussions, please do get in touch. We'd love to hear from you. From all of us at Circle Talk, Merry Meet, Merry Part, and Merry Meet Again.